Hello, welcome to another week of the Fiber Coven podcast. We're so excited to be here with each other and here with you talking about some yarny stuff and some witchy stuff. I'm Lauren from Valkyrie Fibers. And I'm Emily from Kitty with a Cupcake. You have a bit of news to start us off? Porch Cat. <laughs> you have Porch Cat. It just jumped into our Zoom frame. He is a chunky tabby that is full of personality. He would like me to give him some attention. I am going to be at PopCon Indy in late August. It is the 25th through the 27th of August in Indianapolis. It is a pop culture Comic-Con style event. I will have a booth there full of my wares that you can come purchase. Hooray! Hooray! I'll have a Chad helper with me. A truly delightful salesperson. Mm -hmm. Uh, jumping into our yarn content, I finished a big thing. What thing? I, I finished my Melu run oh, shawl. it's so pretty. It's really pretty. I really like it. I've been wearing it, even though it's been hot. So it starts out with a little semicircle, and then it, it alternates between these fun little lacy sections and brioche sections. And I use Sister Anansi yarn and serendipitous wool. And My favorite have- part is the little end bit with the, mm-hmm. the orange and the little pico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pico bind off was a labor of love, I will say. Well, blocking it was a labor of love. It was quite the time. Yay. And I really like it. It's an enormous half circle shawl. And I cannot wait till it gets cold enough for me to wear this for real. It's delightful. What a baby. Porch Cat, if you are watching this, Porch Cat is demanding to be held by a like a baby. Well, really, um, he is demanding to be on my shoulder, and this is a compromise. Mm-hmm. He he is a little prince. Mm-hmm. He's gonna what a delightful the creature. Microphone. What purrs. Oh, he baps at mama's face. Very sweet. What a sweet boy. What have you been working on? It's been a couple weeks since we recorded um i have worked on a lot of stuff let me dispose of this porch cat there he goes he's gonna come back (laughs) i've worked a bunch on my sweater Mm -hmm. i'm on the second sleeve and i'm on the ribbing of the second sleeve so wow it's uh, it's just like so big now look at it it's Mm -hmm. like a whole sweater and then you redid the sleeves to avoid the pooling i did yes do you like it looks looks better a lot better yes Yes. yes do you? you yes i do i'm much happier with it your suggestion of rewinding the ball in the opposite direction did the trick it now <gasps> looks like the other sleeve so it's Fantastic. very exciting but yeah i'm just finishing up this ribbing and then i have to do a giant pickup for the collar mm-hmm. neckband border situation mm-hmm. uh, and then i'm done so I can't wait to see that on you. It's going to be so delightful. I'm excited. I feel like I've been working on it forever because fingering weight for a brioche long time. back panel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my blanket's looking good. Look is at it? this. Oh, look at it. <gasps> so this is the heirloom temperature blanket. You're going to keep hearing about it all year because it's a yearly temperature blanket. I've got a good six inches since you've seen it last. It's been hot. It's mm-hmm. mostly oranges and pinks now and little pops of yellow. It's really fun. I like the mosaic crochet. And um, today I get to start a new pattern, August's Ooh. pattern. 
Yeah, I like I like that section a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a giant burrito. So big, much burrito. Much burrito. It is. It is larger than Porch Cat. Mm-hmm. And he he is large. He's got a normal frame, but he's hefty. There's mm-hmm. muscle on that frame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I have two things I've casted on since last I saw you. Oh, would you like oh. to see them? Yeah. Um, they're both cowls. One of them is nearly finished. Oh, I've seen one of them on the internet. Right. I have been posting nonstop on the internet. This is the Kino cowl. It's a It looks really good. It's my first Intarja project. How's Um, that going? Good. What do you think? How does, how does my Intarja look? Fantastic. Thanks. Uh, I cast off and I need to, uh, there's a drawstring in the top of the brim so i need to stitch down the brim and do my i-cord drawstrings and block it and that's all i have left there will be kits mid-august so by the time you're hearing this there will be this kit available it's inspired by the imperial prison factory arc in andor and it was a great show even if you don't like star wars hits a lot of notes of things we are currently experiencing like prison and prison slavery and (laughs) oppression (laughs) yeah yeah uh it it looks perfect it goes along with their costumes from that point in the show so well i am so excited to be wearing this you have no idea and uh yeah it was it's great and i can't wait to show it off hopefully next time we record i'll have it done and then I also cast on the Numbat Cowl by Nori Chan Knits. That's their IG handle. They did a pair of really cool um, cowls to, uh, that that have a little pocket in them. So this one is a tubular cowl, mm-hmm. and it's going to be uh, like horizontal around the neck, not over the top. And I'm excited, and it's going to be real scrappy. And it's got this really cool little uh, braided detail going on. And I'm using cool colors. I had a lot of cool colors as scraps left over. And I'm really excited about this project. Nice. That's fun. Yeah, I'm excited to do the little pocket. I think this one might be for a new friend, which I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. What have you been working on? Um, I kind of stalled out on my Steven Universe socks just because um, Mm -hmm. I have been needing an on-the-go project and i need to decide like how long i want it to go past the calf increases and like i don't want to be like trying on a sock and figuring that out in public so i need to work on at at home so that i can Mm -hmm. then start the other sock and just measure against the first sock Mm -hmm. so my on-the-go project has been this mount pleasant top Mm -hmm. that i am knitting in the junk yarn cotton Mm -hmm. um so I got past the lace bit and I am working mm-hmm. on just the plain stockinette bit now. Uh, and and this pretty, one's for you? I, In theory, I am not perfectly engaged with this cotton uh, mm-hmm. because it's just like totally different than wool. Uh, mm-hmm. And cotton like really stretches out over time. So I'm erring on the side of making it smaller than my wool Mount Pleasant and hoping that it will end up fitting me because of the the reason cotton is more stretchy 
is sorry, not more stretchy, but it do- it doesn't have memory like wool. So it doesn't mm-hmm. bounce back. Mm-hmm. So like once it's stretched and blocking and from wearing it, it's going to just like stay that big. So I'm hoping mm-hmm. that that will make it fit me. But if it doesn't fit me, I might just give it to Kemper to use as a shop sample for the mm-hmm. cotton because they don't have a like garment in the cotton. So it will have a good home and a purpose either way. And mm-hmm. it's just like a nice little summer vanilla. It's kind of nice to be yeah. working with cotton when it's been so hot, honestly. Mm-hmm. And those are Barbie inspired colorways, right? Yes. The peach is he's just Ken. And he's just Ken. <laughs> oh, if you want to hear our hot takes on the Barbie movie, please like go be a patron because we're going to talk about it in office hours. We do a whole nother podcast for our patrons. Yes. And the uh, lavender that I'm using, I just Mm -hmm. did the little garter ridges on the lace Mm -hmm. in it. And I'm going to do the ribbing for the neck and the cuffs in it. Oh, it's going to be so delightful. And this one is called She's This Barbie is a Mermaid or She's a Mermaid. One of those. It's got mermaid in it. This Barbie is a mermaid. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it looks really good. It does. Um, yeah. And I I think I'm going to like finish it pretty quickly here because mm-hmm. the rest of this top is so like just vanilla. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to basically keep doing this as my vanilla project until I get my socks set up to go. I might finish this before I'm motivated to get my socks up to go because I know I'm not going to wear those socks until like October anyway. So, yep. Yeah, that is a real thing. Like when you're at a decision point and you just don't have the capability to be making decisions. Yeah. And I already had this going because I cast it on when we were on our 90s trip, but Mm -hmm. I... I had stopped this because I was on the lace, but I only had like a couple more rows on the lace. So I was like, I'll just finish mm-hmm. that and then I can just work on it while I'm at gigs and stuff. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I got this done while I was at gigs. Fantastic. Um, and then I have quilting things to show you. Mm-hmm. Look at this. <gasps> you have a whole panel for your zippered tote. I do. I finished my whole little hexy panel for my little mm-hmm. zipper baggie. And I applicate it to this piece of fabric that is the front of the back. Show us your wrong side. Oh, wow. So nice. Yeah. You can just see the little zigzag edge there. Uh Uh-huh. But yes, so all I need to do is iron the fusible batting Mm -hmm. to the back of this and the other piece of the outside of the bag. And then I am going to do things like doing the quilting stitch you do a little Mm -hmm. quilting stitch along the top edge of this which i think i'm gonna do with the machine Mm -hmm. and uh then sewing the zipper in with the machine yeah this is almost done but i have some of the most intimidating parts to me left to do Mm -hmm. i believe in you this is probably gonna be like a weekend project Mm -hmm. i think it's gonna look so great yeah, so I did that. And then speaking of quilting, my like acquisitions mm-hmm. uh, kind of go into my whips for this. So I got this mm-hmm. big art bin mm-hmm. to keep my little quilting fabrics. And this mm-hmm. was on clearance at the Joann's. So that was exciting. Mm-hmm. But I started prepping some stuff to do a little scrappy 
blanket pattern. And if you're mm-hmm. interested in what blanket pattern I'm using, I'm doing the Willow Bee by Tales of Cloth. And mm-hmm. the Tales of Cloth patterns are really, really nicely written, especially if you are a beginner to the craft like me. Um, she has really nice pictures in there that show like how to fit your different paper pieces on like a strip of fabric to get the most out of a strip of fabric and like nice little detailed stuff like that. But this quilt pattern you do uh, diamonds surrounded by triangles to make like a square Oh, fun. Uh, by hand. And then you can sew all of the squares together on the machine. So you can do a small portable paper piecing project and then just save all the squares and do a, a whole big quilt with the machine. So you're not like doing the whole quilt by hand. I feel like that's uh, almost analogous to like a granny blanket. Your squares are small and portable, but it's then you exactly have to like, like sit that. down. Yeah. And sew them all together at home. Yes. I mean, you could bring your granny squares somewhere, but it's just a little, you know, once it yeah, gets yeah. a certain size. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So um, that's basically my plan for this. I started prepping the p- some pieces so that I can work on it. These are my triangles. Um, I will share my screen so you can see what the the pattern looks like that's um, really cool i'm excited about your quilting. scribbles but yeah so you can see that oh, it's, it's a like pin. it's like a pinwheel yeah it's like an eight-pointed star pin. pinwheel oh there and that's the word i am doing this version down here um mm-hmm. where the star is scrappies but the out mm-hmm. like the background is one color to make it look a little mm-hmm. bit less chaotic so this is my triangles for that one color so they're yeah eight eight pointed stars on a white background with squares in between them that are cut into quarters yeah very Um, pretty so this is my fabric that i'm using as the background Mm -hmm. um i got it from freeman's creative while i was there Mm -hmm. for the barbie party event uh and it's Mm -hmm. just a really nice this is a natural undyed cotton with little like bow tie shapes in the background mm-hmm. uh and, and i got quilting cotton yes and i got some fat quarter squares that i cut into strips for this mm-hmm. yesterday there too so what which and you're these? using scraps you already had or you bought new fat quarters i got a mixture it's a mixture of things oh, um, wonderful so i got these little tiny pumpkins Oh, that's little black background with little squat pumpkins. And I got these little itty bitty Halloween candies. Mm-hmm. And they're in a little floral shape on a mauve background. <gasps> and green little mushrooms. Little rainbow mushrooms. And so whimsical. I would expect I nothing less of you, though. Gotta have some whimsy. Where's mm-hmm. my... Sorry, I'm digging through my big bin over here and it's i have fun. some of the diamonds prepped and ready to go oh, that i was nice. working on last night so the prepping part is cutting them out and then basting the paper mm-hmm. in there so you can start stitching them so this is another fabric i picked up at freeman's it's a really bright orange background with little tiny white flowers on it mm-hmm. and these are the other ones that i have set up which are little like moon night sky mm-hmm. they're gonna nice. be so cute like, look at it. Look at how cute this is going to be. It's going to be very cute. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. And this is like Emily embarks on another super long-term blanket project 
what can mm-hmm. I say? I love a long-term blanket brush. <laughs> and I do too. it's nice that there are like squares because if I get, if I get like four done, I'm like, I'm not going to make a whole blanket. I could just like make a table runner or a, like a cozy or a wall hanging or whatever. So a set of pot holder, not pot it's, holders, something, yeah. something small. So I think that's kind of nice about this pattern mm-hmm. that I'm just like making squares. And if I'm like, if I really am liking it and I'm happy to make those squares for a long time, it can be a quilt. And if I'm not, mm-hmm. it can be something else. <laughs> Absolutely. It could mm-hmm. become a baby blanket or it could become a lap blanket or like you said, a table runner, a wall hanging. Placemats. Placemats. Mug yes. Rugs. Mug. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, or maybe I'll do a couple of them and be like, ooh, I got better at this over time. And the first few will become those things. <laughs> yeah. There, there's many possibilities. So, yeah, I just cut. How adorable would that be? A blanket hanging over the back of your couch with matching mug rugs on your 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 coffee table? Mm-hmm. Precious. Yeah. And Almost I... as precious as the porch cat who's decided to grace us with his presence again. Yes. Uh, The pattern is also super nice because it's like gives you all of the different yardages breakdown for the different uh, shapes. So it's don't chew on that headphone cord, mister. Get out of here. So it's like you need this many yards if you're doing the backgrounds as one color. You need this many yards if you're doing all the triangles as one color. You need this many yards if you're doing one color for each of the points of the diamonds consistently throughout the whole thing. This is how Mm -hmm. many fat quarters you need. If you want the most fabric variety possible, like it really breaks it down nicely. That's wonderful. I did a quilt when I was in college, just a basic, it was just squares in a pattern, but I was working with my mom's scraps. They're actually all Texas plaids from the nineties. That's like a thing for quilters apparently. Um, And it was, a variety of things and planning that out based off of my yardage was a very math intense project. I had a friend who was an engineering major and he came over and helped me with it. Yeah. Cause I was like, I don't know how much I need, but it just tells me. (laughs) That's Um, lovely. And I think my plan for the squares is like, so this is my little fabric stack here. And I feel like Mm -hmm. this is like a nice little like color thing Mm -hmm. so i might make some squares that kind of like go together Mm -hmm. um and then some that like like they're gonna go with each other but not necessarily be like one cohesive color story like i might do some of these neons for some of them because it's gonna be scrappy right Mm -hmm. so that's my plan i love it um oh i also got this from freeman's creative it was just like a freebie they were doing Mm -hmm. for uh people who made a purchase at the Barbie party and it's just a little itty bitty charm pack. Um, So cute. It's called Sugar Cone by Kimberly uh, Kite and it is from the Ruby Star Society which I really like all of their fabrics. They're like all made in Japan. Really nice Mm -hmm. cute quality fabrics. A lot of the vac quarters I've been collecting have been like accidentally from them uh but it's Mm -hmm. all different little candies and ice creams in here how adorable I'm trying to slide this down so you can see it but 
there mm-hmm. is a gummy bear one that is just like way too I cute. Love gummy bears. I may or may not have like eaten too many gummy bears while watching the Barbie movie. Oh. Um, but yeah, this is so nice. And I can make uh one of my one inch hexagons out of each of these. So I can make some more um bags, like the bag I'm making using just these. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm having fun with the quilting mm-hmm. stuff. It's a nice like creative outlet for my brain that's not mm-hmm. work related and mixing it up from knitting. Yeah. I actually got a couple things this week. Did you? What'd you get? Mm -hmm. Well, my nephew's been by a lot. He's a teenager and he's been doing some summer work for us. We have, we heat with wood. He's been splitting and stacking firewood for us, which has been a treat, but he found a book in a bargain bin and he thought of me and it's William Shakespeare's version of Star Wars, A New Hope. Fun. And uh, I picked through a little bit of it so far, and it's, it's, you know, just a Shakespeare version of A New Hope, and it's pretty, it's funny. The best part so far is that R2-D2 only just beeps, and then when everybody leaves, he makes asides. It is delightful. <laughs> That's fun. So I've been thinking at that, which has been fun. And then I also got a big custom order in from Marina of Rapunzel Fiber Ooh, Arts. I'm excited to see I this. got, yeah, I got a couple bags of her pride flag roll eggs. This is the buy pride one. It's really great. I'm going to try by hand at some self-striping. Mm-hmm. Um, these are really cool. There's not a super clear color distinction. Uh, they kind of blend together a little bit at so the you're gonna joints. Do, like feed one roll egg at a time to try and make the self-striping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and chain ply. But I'm not worked up if there's like a little fade in between the colors. I think mm-hmm. that'll be fun. I don't know what I'm going to do with these yet. Yeah, that'll be cool though. Mm-hmm. And then the thing I really custom ordered was cats are extra yes. helpful today. The cats, <laughs> yeah, the cats are very helpful. Uh, Marina's so good at nailing inspiration picks, and she does inspiration from Star Wars planets. And one of my favorite planets from the Clone Wars is Umbara, which is basically like. I kind of think of that planet as like, you know, all the horrible glowing things in the dark at the bottom of the ocean, but a planet. Yeah, it is kind of like that. Yeah, it's a planet without a sun. There's all these bioluminescing things and the clones get into some horrible war crimes there. Um, It's a really dark arc and I like tragedy uh, and I like the gothy vibes of a sunless planet. So it's all like a blue black base with purple and hot, hot pink, almost hot red. And it's going to be all tweety and fun. And there's a little sparkle in there because Marina knows I love texture and sparkle in my Rolex. And this is going to be some sort of garment. I'm thinking the sleeve vibes by Sachiko B. That would be really cute. And I'm, I got 12 ounces, so I'm going to have enough. I'm probably going to do the sleeves and then maybe like an ultra cropped sweater or like short sleeve ultra cropped sweater. Mm-hmm. You never know. Cute. Yeah, so that'll be fun. And that's my plan. Nice. I like it. Yeah, uh, that's what I got. And uh, if you're ready, we can jump into a cult corner. Mm-hmm. So last week we were tackling Helena Blavatsky, and we're going to keep talking about her. And I was looking into it, and Blavatsky's life is too interesting. And I have a whole spiel just about 
her life. Uh, and I'm gonna we're gonna go into her more of her beliefs later. This is more just biography. So if you're ready, this is Mystify Manipulate Manifest to Blavatsky to Furious. <laughs> I hope you like it. <laughs> so if you remember where we left off last week with the tale of Helena Blavatsky's life. She was uh, an upper-class woman in the mid-1800s in the Russian Empire. She had a lot of tragedy in her life, but um, also a lot more privilege than most people, which I, I assume would, would be common in people of, her cl- of people in her class because women didn't have a ton of rights, but she also had a lot more rights than a serf. But the year is 1870. She had just uh, claimed to have gotten into Tibet and done her spiritual training with her masters, uh, Master Moria and Master Kutumi, who may or may not have existed. We don't know. We don't know if she was telling the truth about anything. It's not verifiable. And she had essentially just done her spiritualist version of like Uma Thurman and Kill Bill getting her Hattori Hanzo blade and learning the five finger death punch from a, like an ancient Kung Fu master. She'd done the spiritual version of this and she can do every psychic thing imaginable and she's gonna run with that and kind of her views is that she's not like the other spiritualists she's different Mm. she doesn't believe that's that um the entities that people are contacting with seances which are very common in this era this is like the height of spiritualism she doesn't think that they are sentient spirits she thinks that they that supernatural phenomenon are real they're not the spirits of the deceased but they're mischievous non-human spirits called elementals which factor really big into crowley and parson's belief about their their personal beliefs about the way supernatural phenomena work or she believes that the what people are contacting in seances are like echoes of deceased humans not that, that they're just like like how echoes. ghosts work in the magicians yes kind of but they're not people who are like in control of their of their actions so in 1871 in Ju- oh oh my gosh this is just like a random fact in wikipedia on her bio in 1871 in july she's traveling from india like having just finished this great spiritual journey or so she said she was on a ship called the SS Eunomia and it exploded and she was one of 16 survivors. Like what? Okay. And I think that one's verifiable. Like the ship did blow up. Oh. So this one, and this was, she was traveling from India. I want to say she was, this was somewhere near the Suez Canal, I want to say. And she checked out the spiritualism scene among the European expats in Cairo, but she decided they were all like fake table wrappers and, you know, people that were just doing cons. I wonder how she knew that. And then she did some more traveling in Syria, Palestine, and Lebanon. And of course, she's saying she learned from masters. Like, I learned secrets of the Kabbalah and like I studied with this person and that person. She did more of that. And then she went back to, uh, what's now Ukraine, where her family was. And then Master Moria tells her it is time to go to the United States. And on July 8th of 1873, Helena Blavatsky hits New York City. Her wealthy older husband's money must have run out at this point because she did not have money. She's making, she's doing piecework and living in like tenements with other Eastern European immigrants and kind of getting herself settled in the scene. 
uh, of course she has to be the center of attention like you do but she starts she has to like actually do some some actual labor and she starts building a following as like a spooky mystic and conveniently later that year her dad dies and she gets some money <laughs> And in 1874, there is a wealthy Slavic immigrant uh, in the States named Mikhail Bertinelli, and he wants to marry her. And he eventually wears her. (laughs) He wears her down and she accepts, but her husband is still very much alive back in the Russian (laughs) Empire. Mm -hmm. But supposedly they never consummate the marriage. So is it technically bigamy if you don't smash? I mean, yeah, I think so. Yes. Um, (laughs) Yes, that was a crime she did. Uh, And there was everything they say about Blavatsky's sex life is to an extreme. It's either she was celibate or she was living her best life of sexual liberation with whomever she wanted, regardless of the bonds of marriage. Um, And I don't know how to take that because I feel like it was very common for important important figures who were assigned female at birth like every female head of state there have been like oh the virgin queen the virgin queen that's a common thing if you're a woman trying to have societal or political importance that's something too and that's and then accusations of sexual promiscuity is like a huge thing that a detractor would say we don't know what the truth is um, she might have just been asexual and not interested in having sex too. And we just will never know because, because of the rumor mill and the, the societal pressures of the time, but she very much did like to cha- claim virginity and her detractors very much did like to say that she was having like extramarital relations all over the place. But she's bigamously married. She's living in New York. She's not like wealthy, but she's no longer having to take like work doing sweatshops sewing anymore. And then she meets Henry Steele Olcott, who is a reporter on spiritualism as well as a lawyer. And he is either the best mark a grifter ever found or a co-conspirator because they are super BFFs for the rest of her life. She convinces this man who's got like a family and everything that he needs to work with her full time and that he needs to give up sex, booze, and meat. Elena's sex life is ambiguous and we'll never know the answer to that, but she is absolutely not giving up on cigarettes and booze and good food at this time. Mm -hmm. It's like definitely that problematic cult of influence person who's like no no the rules are different you for me can't because i'm <laughs> i'm the god's special person i'm the prophet i get to have you know bacon these luxuries yes yes and it like helena blavatsky is smoking a pound of tobacco every day she is a chain smoker to end all chain smokers Yes, her her followers should live an aesthetic life, you know, like she learned on her spiritual journey, uh, but not her. She can do whatever she wants because she's special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, regardless of what, who or not she's having sex with, she's telling uh, Henry Steele Olcott to stop having sex with his wife and to give up booze and meat. And she's chain smoking and eating whatever she wants and is definitely absolutely married to two different men. That's fun. Classic. An interesting thing is that Olcott 
they have nicknames for each other and his nickname for her is Jack. And she prefers to go by HPB and not her name. Interesting. And so that made me think about, and, and also too, this was mentioned in the behind the bastards on her. And it was something that uh, really kind of, I hooked on is that Olcott in his reporting of her, which is all like puff pieces, like made to make her look good. He makes interesting comments about her gender. Like, I don't consider her a woman. She's like, doesn't have a gender. She's a being of pure spirituality. And there's so many reasons you could say something like that, like to make someone seem more like a powerful psychic or spiritual person. Uh, Or it could be his way of saying that he's not sexually attracted to her. Or like, like trying not to make it seem like that's why they're together is because there's a sexual relationship because he's like a cis dude and she's an assigned female at birth person. Mm-hmm. I mean, or it could be that Elena Blavatsky was non-binary. Yeah. So. Or it could just be that she's like, I'm not like those other girls. Exactly. <laughs> she she did prefer to wear like a mishmash of clothing. Part of her like lore was that she fought with Italian national hero Garibaldi. So she wore like a Italian style like man shirt and then she'd wear like a shawl and she she wasn't a particularly feminine woman. So I think she was playing with gender a little bit. I was really torn about what pronouns to use. Mm-hmm. Um but she's very dead and she conned a lot of people. So like, maybe I'll slip in a they, them, or like just acknowledge that that may or may not have been the case. And they, people in that time did not have the words for somebody who was non-binary. And also to the fact of going by HPB instead of Helena Blavatsky as a writer, like that was obviously incredibly common for female writers to use a male or a non-gendered pen name. Mm-hmm. So there is every, every female writer did that back in the day. Oh yeah. So there's just like a lot of interesting stuff going on regarding her relationship to both sex and gender that we will just never know, which I found interesting. Mm -hmm. In this time, Olcott and Blavatsky established the Miracle Club, which is basically just like a secret, like a, a secret society a social club for people that are interested in her particular brand of spiritualism. This eventually becomes the Theosophical Society. The breakdown of theosophy is their two Greek words, meaning God, gods and wisdom. So wisdom of the God, wisdom of the gods. They're just entertaining spiritualism um, while Helena drinks and chain smokes and does spooky stuff. In 1875, Blavatsky writes Isis Unveiled, which is one of her more famous books. In w- and she claims that this book was like channeled. Like I didn't write it. Another consciousness worked through me to write mm-hmm. it, which is really big things with grifters who are making up their own religion. Yeah. You got um, There's themes of innate ancient wisdom and kind of ticking into that hyperborean Atlantis sort of thing, which to me is just kind of white people not being able to handle that like humans came from Africa and society came from the Middle East and North Africa. They mm-hmm. have to invent like some sort of like like hyperborean means like above the tree line. So we're talking about like in the Arctic 
like they're imagining some light-skinned ancient peoples who had a great civilization and which is the root of all civilization for other people, which we know is not true. Not to say that peoples that live there didn't have amazing cultural traditions because they did. They just weren't white people. <laughs> um, but this was the big thing of the day. And to be fair, I'm sure archaeology didn't know that there wasn't a Hyperborean Atlantis, but in Isis Unveiled, there's a lot of stuff about like root races and this wasn't necessarily like Blavatsky's take on it wasn't necessarily bad, but a lot of people are going to have some really bad takes on this, which we'll get into when we go into theosophy more in like the rules of theosophy. It does say that it is transcendent of race, class and creed. And it is very much anti-Christian establishment. Like in Isis Unveiled, there's all this stuff about how um, lots of Eastern cultural traditions, specifically like Hindu traditions, and of course, First Peoples traditions in the Americas are more closely related and descended directly from this like root race that is pure and European Christianity is has like strayed from this and it's corrupting and bad. She's definitely an anti-establishment, anti-Christian person, which I think is interesting. And there are also critiques of Darwinism in there as ignoring the spiritualism or ignoring spiritual aspects of human culture, which is fair. But I also think it's interesting, like during this time, the late 1800s and early 1900s, that's when like, quote unquote, race science comes in and just makes a bunch of stuff, like basically making the whole problems of people's innate racial prejudices into like capital R racism. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that that there are two sides to it. There is the social Darwinism that leads directly into race science and eugenics. And there's theosophy, which leads directly into like cultural race, like leads directly into World War II's genocide. What can I say? It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like denouncing race science, like as a, like a non-spiritual science, but she's going to be the founder of the thing that eventually turns becomes so horrible. Mm-hmm. Like, like the spiritual side of it that she's inventing now just becomes a cancer in society. It's fascinating. From 1879 to 1885, Olcott and Blavatsky decide it's time to sell all their stuff and move to India. Maybe they had milk, like milked every cent they could out of like the East Coast spiritualist scene. Yeah, they moved to India. They start publishing a monthly magazine called The Theosophist and they convert to Buddhism. I don't think they were following a traditional Buddhist like doctrine or lifestyle they were more just saying i think it was more for them a rejection of christianity which is fair i don't know it is what it is so they're in india and the mainstream british imperialists did not want anything to do with them which you would expect but they start collecting people in their social circle who are western expats but they're like outcasts from the main like ruling class of imperialists in india And in 1884, there's this thing called the Colum Affair, which is a big deal. There were some expats who I believe had fallen on bad times. There were a couple, Colum was their last name. And Helena had kind of manipulated the situation into making these people her servants. 
Oh, okay. And somehow the relation at some point this relationship sh- sours and they start denouncing her as a fraud. They were like, no, like we fell on hard times and didn't have anybody else to turn to. And Helena took us in and had us running errands, quote unquote, for her. And these errands were all like, go to this place and hide this letter here. And then later at their party, Helena could be like magician assistant work. (laughs) They were doing magician assistant work for sure. Yeah. At the party, like Helena would be like, I've never been to your house, Lord so-and-so, but if you look, you will find a letter from master Kutumi here. Or like, you will find one of my cigarette butts on your bust of so-and-so in your library. (laughs) And like the Kalams were like, no, she, she made us go hide that the week before. So there is a lot. And this definitely this definitely discredits her in the eyes of mainstream society and their their social standing suffers. And of course Blavatsky's like, no, they're liars. They're they're just haters trying to take me down, like everybody always says mm-hmm. when they get caught. Yeah. And in eighteen eighty five Blavatsky's in poor health and they return to Europe. They start the Blavatsky Lodge. They're kind of running it out of a hotel. They're basically just pretending to be like an alternative to like, they, they want to think they're the Freemasons and it's their secret society of cool people. You can come and like have a hangout with and talk about whether you think ghosts exist. Mm-hmm. But Blavatsky's kind of elderly and in poor health at this time. It's probably got nothing to do with the fact that she inhales a pound of tobacco every day. Um, you never know. And she's living off of dwindling society contributions, which is interesting because this is like really, uh, this is the same thing that will happen to Crowley in 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, just like an elderly spooky person who who is living off of somebody else continuing their old-timey their work. Patreon. It is their old-timey Patreon for sure. And then finally in 1891, Blavatsky dies during an influenza epidemic and um I just wrote legacy question mark and didn't do any research but I figure we can get into that a lot more when we talk about the theosophical society and theosophy as um a spiritual outlook and the very problematic directions that that theosophists will go in the future mm-hmm. cool and I guess I guess I would say Blavatsky was progressive for her time, but in ways that we now see are problematic. It's very much upholding the noble savage sort of view. It's a very like white savior-y cultural appropriation sort of a take on it. But those people were the only people back in the day saying like, hey, maybe we should stop genociding native peoples. And like, and not Blavatsky. She wasn't an American. She didn't have a lot of opinions on that, but like a lot of the American spiritualists were the, were also abolitionists. Like they were doing things that we would now recognize as problematic, but they were, they were, they were uh, some of the, the only people who weren't actively like, <laughs> yeah, frothing at the mouth for genocides yeah. of various mm-hmm. kinds or mm-hmm. human trafficking on an industrial scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it is what it is. Uh, it's a very complicated legacy, but she was one of the first person to bring bring Eastern spiritual traditions to Westerners and um, is definitely the founder of new age movements for Westerners. Yeah. And 
we're going to dig deeper into that next week. Fun times. Yeah. I thought it was a fun story to learn about. This is mostly taken from Wikipedia and the Behind the Bastards episodes on Blavatsky. And we'll link that, all that good stuff in the show notes. But uh, I think we're just going to do a little promo and be on our way. Mm-hmm. I finally have self-striping in stock again. It was selling out a lot in the past like year or so, but I now I have a ton in stock. If you're looking for my self-striping yarn, it is in my Etsy shop. And by the time you're listening to this, the kits and pattern will be available for the Kino Cowl, which is inspired by Andor. It is such a fun adventure, and I think you guys are going to like it. The kits are going to include everything but the pattern, including the cute little cord locks, which I have ordered and hopefully we are on their way to me right now. And my friend Shoba over at Serendipitous Wool is having her five-year anniversary of her business. And there's going to be a really cool collective of diverse makers who are doing their own takes on Shoba's colorways. And when there's dyers and designers, we're going to be putting out some really fun things um, just to shout out our friend Shoba at Serendipitous Wool. So hopefully you like the content that's coming around coming out around that and you can buy some cool stuff from some cool makers excited to see that yeah yeah it's been fun there's a pretty cool group chat on instagram for it do you have anything going on that people can buy from you i uh, you can buy all my existing stuff on my website uh and in theory when this episode comes out there might be zodiac pins (laughs) i don't know who can say (laughs) who can say (laughs) When the fates will it, it will be so. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So if you are looking to find us anywhere around the internet, please just head on over to fibercoven.com. It will have show notes for what you just listened to. It will have links to my yarn and Emily's merch and patterns, as well as links to our Patreon, which is pretty, I think it's a pretty rad place. We have a really awesome group of people in Discord as well as you will get access to this podcast in video form and our office hours, which is a video podcast uh, where we talk about business stuff and we rant about the sort of media we are consuming. It's a fun time. We curse Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. So if you're interested in any of that, it's just fibercoven.com. So until next week, keep making yarn magic. Bye. Bye. Bye.